Hello and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on tech disruption and how it is driving their decision making and strategy. My name is Sunil Rajgopal, software analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence and independent equity research arm at Bloomberg. And I have with me Raj Verma, chief executive officer at Single Store a cloud-first distributed SQL database that is purpose-built for high-velocity, low-latency, and data-intensive application use cases that can be used to run both analytical and transactional workloads. Raj, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Sunil. It's uh, great to be here um, and uh, look forward to our conversation. Raj, I recall from one of your interviews that you want to make a dent in the data world. I'm intrigued by that statement and I would love to learn about your journey into single store and what is your big vision for the company. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, you know, it's uh, I just a little bit about myself. I um, was born and you know grew up in India. Uh, went to school in India, did my computer science engineering. And um, as I uh, often say, and even mention in my book, uh, as we were graduating out of college, we did not really have an ambition to be CEO of a software company. I mean, software companies probably existed, but we didn't really know about them <laughs> back in India back then, 1992, 93 is what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, I just went on this journey, which I never imagined was possible. And uh, it's uh, it's been quite a dream, and um, it's been it's a journey that's taken me from India to Hong Kong, and then Singapore, and Australia, and then to the Bay Area for the last two decades. And the reason uh, for me to move uh, to the Valley was actually very simple. As I started down my journey in this digital industry, whether it be you know software or hardware or what have you, I was intrigued by. The, the possibilities of moving the world and doing good for society and really moving the civilization forward, right, uh, for the better. And, uh, and that, that was essentially, you know, changing the world sort of thing one day at a time. And what better place to go and pursue that ambition than the valley where, you know, we, we had heard that that's where you wake up in the morning and change the world in a small way every every single day. And that was the reason I moved to the Valley, uh, as I said, two decades ago. And uh, through my journey at Tipco Software and then Hortonworks and Aptis, I, um, I then took on MemSQL back then and Single Store now, a very intriguing, exciting database company, which uh, fundamentally was built on first principles and uh, the, the principles were around speed scale and simplicity with a actually fairly um, simple idea but enormous vision of being able to bring real-time insight actionable insights in the form of the hands um, of, of executive decision makers and citizens uh, at large right and, um, you know, like one of our customers says, uh, they, they initially started using us as interactive analytical platform. And fortunately for us, that is now the stepping stone for generative AI applications. And uh, it has, you know, a, a series of uh, good design decisions and principle 
And a lot of serendipity and luck uh, have put us in a position to be uh, the most sought after generative AI platform in the market today. And, um, and, and I think that is, um, that is how you fundamentally make a dent in the software universe or the data universe. And that is shamelessly stealing from the idea of Steve Jobs, which we spoke about making a dent in the universe with everything that uh, Apple did or he did. And uh, I think the, the uh, notion here is to do things which people always told us wasn't possible and to do things which fundamentally um, have a transformative impact on our customers, uh, on society, and actually literally makes, uh, you know, moves the civilization forward in ways that you can't really imagine uh, right now. And I think that's the impact of Gen AI, uh, Sunil. Great. In my opening remarks, I did bring in a lot of technical jargons to describe your business. How would you explain singers single store business uh, to a generalist? Yeah, I mean, the single store product offering is, um, you know, is fairly simple. I think the world of databases for decades now, by the way, database is not something that got invented uh, five years ago, 10 years ago. I think the databases have existed since uh, the 1950s. And they're the very basis of building applications. I mean, it's basically storage and compute. And, um, Traditionally, databases, and I think for the most part, even today, are fragmented into two, two broad categories. One are transactional databases, and the other are analytical databases, broadly speaking. And transactional databases are databases where the example is you know, a bank using an application which um, essentially uh, originates and fulfills check um, deposits. Uh, now, what's important in that application is to have a very high fidelity of transactions so that no matter what, a check being deposited or your check being deposited has an indelible signature of or receipt of that transaction uh, having occurred. And even if something really bad was to happen to the systems, etc., that indelible signature of the check essentially remains. And those are typically... Um, you know, transactional systems, ticketing, reservations, payments, et cetera. And then, you know, if you wanted to analyze you, using the example of uh, checks in a bank, if you wanted to then analyze how many uh, checks over $1,000 were deposited between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. Uh, in the Mountain View branch of, you know, Citibank or what have you, uh, then you take that data and throw it over the wall to an analytical system, you get that insight and then you do whatever uh, you want to do with that insight. Now, really, you had data moving, uh, data being federated. Uh, you then introduce latency into data because as data moves, not only bad things happen, but it also introduces uh, latency. The entire vision, mission, and purpose of MemSQL and now single store was to essentially have a platform where you can transact with very high fidelity and also reason with data without moving data in a hybrid multi-cloud environment with millisecond latency or millisecond single digit millisecond query times. And that was really the mission. And over time, 
as you know vectors and the vectorization of data to then train LLMs became important. Uh, and I would think that really uh, came to bear um, for the world about 18 months ago, but we've been doing that since 2017, 2018. So now single store becomes a platform where you can transact with high fidelity, reason or analyze data, and also contextualize data without having the need to move data. So not only is that uh, not risky, because as I said, bad things happen when data moves, but also provides you latency, uh, which are by far and away, by far and away, the fastest response times in the world. Right. Can you unpack uh, a bit more on what you just described in terms of the analytical as well as the transactional databases and what is the gain one could derive from unifying those two workloads? I mean, as I said, you know, transactional databases are, as the word says, more into uh, ensuring that the transactions per se, whether it's a check deposit or a cash withdrawal or you buying a ticket to an airline or a concert, et cetera, the center of the universe in that application is transactional fidelity, right? And, uh, you know, that comes into then asset compliance, et cetera. And I don't want to get too technical for our audience, but those are transaction systems. And analytical systems are systems which naturally, as the name suggests, you can run the if-then-else analysis. You know, how many checks were deposited between 10 and 12 p.m.? How many checks were over $10,000 in the last week? How many checks were um, deposited by... Um, by people under the age of, you know, 30 or what have you, whatever, you know, queries that you really want to run, and that's analytical. Um, transactions um, essentially have, uh, uh, you know, data which is held for a very short period of time, and then over a batch processing, analytical databases become uh, the, the, uh, uh, the beholder or the repository of data in most organizations, and that's where data warehouses and analytical systems like that uh, have vast, vast, vast historical data. Now, um, the 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 real aspect of consolidation of transactions and analytics, to me, first and foremost, is the speed speed to insight. Right. So, if something bad is happening, how you put the transaction closest to the reasoning or the analytical layer. Uh, really makes all the difference between having the best service, uh, avoiding risk, which would be cyber attacks, which could be trafficking of kids, whatever else there is to it, and also being able to take the next best action to take advantage of an opportunity or to avoid risk. And what better closeness of transaction and analytics than to have it on one platform? And not only that, if you are moving data between transactions and analytical systems, Sunil, in the old world, it was only about risk and latency. But now in the cloud world, it's also about cost. Because uh, moving data between systems is still risky, is still, you know, adds to uh, latency, but um, is also expensive. So if you want uh, speedy insights, if you... Uh, want, uh, you know, low risk insights. And if you also don't want to spend too much money, then a consolidated offering is um, always the better way to go. And uh, that's really the mantra that we preach through single store, as the name suggests, a single store for your transactional and analytical 
and contextualization needs. And by the way, I think that's the vision, Sunil. I, I think the the sort of establishment would want to, um, you know, want to say otherwise, uh, whether it's us or someone else who fulfills this vision, I hope it's us. But uh, there is no if and buts about the fact that the database of the future is going to be a consolidated transactional analytical and contextual platform. Um, and, um, and that would, by design, then become the preferred platform for building generative AI applications. Right. So database specialists often point to me that it is the storage architecture that does the magic or is the secret sauce behind real-time, hyperspeed data and intelligence flows. Can you shed light on what makes single store unique versus the other big players in the space? Yeah, no, I... I... By the way, completely agree. You keep really good friends who are very knowledgeable about the database space, I must confess. Uh, I, I agree. I think what makes a database fast or slow, uh, interactive or otherwise, is essentially in the design of its storage architecture. So completely in, in agreement there. And we, by design, have a very unique and differentiated storage architecture. So we've got a three-tier storage architecture, so now, where you have in-memory and then columnar and then object store. So as the data comes in, the hot and the warm data is in memory. So you get single digit millisecond response times. And uh, the bad thing with keeping all your data in memory is that it's expensive. So as the data cools down and uh, the, uh, the data then moves to columnar store, which still provides fairly recent context to the organization about that data, and then it, uh, as it cools down further and becomes more sort of uh, aged data, then it moves to object store, which is really an S3 storage, which is economical. So on the one end, uh, in our, uh, through our storage, unique storage architecture, you get unprecedented single digit millisecond speed. And on the other side, you get um, the lowest TCO, total cost of ownership. Uh, in the database space. So you get best of both the worlds through our unique storage architecture. And also because it's row and columnar, you can write an application and report on the application in the same platform, uh, which is uh, which is exceptionally unique. Right. Maybe I'll come back on the cost part of that discussion. But uh, one of the recent changes uh, in your offering has been the separation of compute and storage layer. Why did you have to do that? And uh, how is that resonating with your customers? Yeah, and, and that was the third layer of the storage architecture that I spoke about. So the, you know, the object store and how you can actually, uh, you know, I spoke about memory columnar and we added the object store. An object store essentially is the separation of storage and compute. And, uh, you know, give credit where credit is due. I do think Snowflake led that vision in the industry. And, uh, you know, we were fast followers of that vision. And uh, where it helps our customers mostly is, not mostly, it is essentially a place where you can marry our, you know, we were always the fastest database and have been the fastest database in the world for seven, eight, nine years. And uh, however, how do you marry speed with uh, TCO is the challenge. 
And I think Object Store allowed us, helped us, um, you know, gave a value proposition of world-class speed at uh, affordable prices. Right. So just staying with the theme of cost, are there any cost and performance advantages that one can derive using single store versus other platforms? Because uh, I think in, in one of your product uh, demonstrations, what I saw was uh, there, there could be a massive amount of uh, cuts that can be done in terms of the number of instances required to run uh, the databases or the existing uh, data workloads. So any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. I feel very passionately about it, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, when you've been doing what I've been doing for as long as I've been doing it, it's my third decade in the infrastructure and um, data world. And if you if you actually you think about this, when you went to a large bank or a telco company or any organization, even large, small or otherwise, and asked the question, you know, what database do you use? You were expecting and would get a singular answer. You know, we use Oracle, we use Informix, we use Sybase or DB2 or what have you, right? Because the, the, the data set was very well understood. All right. And then 2007, 2008 happened, the smartphone and the social media, where there was a implosion or explosion of data, both in terms of variety, in terms of volume, and in terms of velocity of data that was being thrown at organizations and people. Now, um, I remember in 2011, I made this bold statement that the data in the world has doubled since Obama came into presidency. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, people started to blame him for it. I'm joking. But the <laughs> fact was that, you know, the data doubling every, you know, two years was seen as, oh, my God, this is just unbelievable. And, um, and, and by the time we finished this interview, there'd be more data that would have been created in the world than was created in the year 2004. So the amount of data that is created, and as I said, the volume, variety, and velocity of that data is uh, just went through the roof post-2008, 2009, owing to, as I said, the smartphone and the social uh, media world. Now, the incumbent databases weren't really designed to cater to that volume, variety, or velocity of data. And that's why if you see the modern day databases that exist today, majority of them got started post 2007, 2008. And, uh, and they were essentially uh, designed to take care of one aspect of that data explosion. And fast forward 2024, if you went to the same bank or telco or large organization and asked them how many databases you have, the answer is going to be somewhere between 60 and 100. It's not as if they gave up their businesses and started collecting databases. It was just the fact that there was a very band-aid approach to the data estates of most organizations where they brought in swim lane databases to fill the gap that they had in their data architecture. Now, what then resulted in was that if you're using 20 databases to build an application, then by design, your points of failure are n squared minus one. So your points of failure are 399 by design, right, um, in an application. 
a modern day application that has to serve customers by the second, when you have 399 points of failures uh, by design, that's just not a app that you are you would want to lead with in the world today. That's, right. that's correct. So single store value proposition is we essentially help you consolidate a lot of these databases and, and you can now build majority of your application. Now, would we ever come back to the you know pre-2007 era of the organization having one database? Probably not. But majority of the data and workloads would be um, would 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 be in three to five databases. And those databases will have to be multi-model, will have to have the speed and scale um, and simplicity of use. Um, and, and that is how organizations would simplify their data estate and get ready for the generative AI, uh, I would almost call it revolution or evolution at least that awaits us. And I think we have been a leading voice in that um, sort of change and um, and most of our customers, and by the way, in a majority, a vast majority of our revenue comes from uh, Fortune 500 customers. And in this space, in the database space, if you can solve the problems for large Fortune 500 customers, it's easier to come down market in our market than to go up market. And um, the the last two years, we have gone down market, and of the you know over 400 customers that we have. Uh, vast majority of our customers are sub billion dollars, but uh, a lot of our revenue does come from Fortune 500 companies. Right, I know we can go much deeper on the technology aspects, but um, before we switch gears to a different subject, I want to get your thoughts on zero ETL and what Single Store is doing on that end. Yeah, I think uh, Zero ETL, which was really propagated by AWS, um, again, a company that I have huge respect for. And what they essentially are saying is that they are replicating our vision of converging transactional and analytical databases into one. Now, we did it by design. They are doing it as an afterthought by seamlessly integrating the two databases to give a feeling of oneness. Right. So we are a so zero ETL to a large extent is a validation of the vision of single store. So I like that aspect of it a lot. Um, the, the difference between us and I am not going to make a value judgment on it. When you do something by design and your natively converged database of transactions and analytical uh, analytics, these the ease and the seamlessness of interaction um, is, is a lot more superior than when you try and bundle two together uh, as an afterthought. However, I do think that if you, um, if, you, if you have to converge the two, then those are really the two uh, options. One is the zero ETL and the other is to buy or use a database that is converged by design. And, um, you know, it's a free world and we let our customers and prospects make their decision. But I do believe that a lot more of zero ETL offerings would hit the market. Um, and uh, do remember that even in zero ETL, data does move. Uh, it, uh, it just seems seamless, but the data movement per se uh, doesn't stop. 
and I am the big proponent of saying that when data moves, bad things happen, and I think those bad things would continue to happen. Right. Let's now move to focus on the dollars. I know in 2022, in one of your press releases or maybe in one of the articles that I read, you had crossed 100 million in ARR and were, I mean, garnered a billion dollar plus in valuations. So how has the growth paced in 2023, given the macro dynamics we saw, and how are you positioning the company for 2024 and beyond? Yeah, um, uh, thanks for the kind words. And yes, you're right. Um, we, we raised our last round. Uh, we closed it in September of 2022. And that was a $146 million round uh, led by Goldman Sachs, uh, valuing the company at uh, north of about $1.3 billion, $1.35 to be exact. And... Um, and yeah, so uh, that's a statement of fact. Uh, 2023, um, I think we are not immune from the economic headwinds that uh, everyone else is facing. And, um, and the fact is that it was a year which, was, uh, which required probably two to three X the effort to get the same output uh, than, than we had in 2021, uh, especially and even 2022. So from that perspective, I would say a hard year for software. No if and and buts about it. Um, and uh, as I said, we weren't immune from it. However, we are still uh, recording healthy growth, uh, healthy new logo acquisition. Uh, most importantly, our managed services business is still growing 90, 95% year on year. And, um, and that is really something that excites me tremendously. And our generative AI business is, uh, again, uh, scheduled uh, or, or um, we anticipate to grow triple digits. And I think that triple digit growth on our, um, on our um, generative AI solutions will continue for at least uh, the next three, even four years. So that's something that we are superbly excited about. I do think that our consumption-based pricing and the cloud is getting our dollar-based net retention in the cloud uh, very close to uh, 125, 130, which, uh, which is best in class, uh, in our opinion. And, uh, and, and that is uh, very, very encouraging uh, for, for our growth prospects. And, uh, and we do continue to consolidate when we, uh, when we enter a customer and uh, we replace between four and seven databases over time. And that simplifies the data estates of organizations and uh, gives us a place in the big table of databases that uh, that organization uses. And um, so, yeah, and, and these are some, you know, Fortune 10, Fortune 25 companies um, who um, use us as a top five databases in their org, which for a company our size is a huge privilege and goes on to say um, how I think validates more than anything else our vision and our innovation, which, uh, which is probably to me the most important aspects of our metrics to predict uh, what our future is likely to be. Right. I mean, when I look at the database uh, market today, it looks like it is highly fragmented. 
And um, how does single store compete uh, with the likes of Oracle, MongoDB, Datastakes, and maybe Snowflakes and others? Yeah, I mean, um, I I would say, yeah, the, the database space is fragmented by, you know, by the empirical evidence that there are 368 um, database engines, if you were to believe which I do, the database engines report. Uh, however, if you do peel the onion back, uh, and I'm not disagreeing that it's fragmented, I'm just stating facts. Um, I think vast majority of those 368 are academic projects of one shape or form, right? So most of them have never really contributed any revenue uh, and some would not even be, you know, commercial entities. Um, and, and then you further peel the onion back and say how many of them are, you know, more than 5 million and how many of them are over 10 million and, and then come down to a list of how many of them are over 100 million. I don't think you cross 20 companies, database companies, maybe 25 who are over $100 million in, in revenue. So yeah, I mean, fragmented, but not 368 fragmented, maybe 25, 30 fragmented. Um, and, and, and the... And the thing that excites me the most, Sunil, is, you know, the analysts estimate our database market to be about $120 billion, the target addressable market. And if you were to take the revenues of all modern day databases, right, whether it's Mongo or Snowflake or Databricks, if you call Databricks a database company, but let's let's do that, um, uh, you know, data stacks and cockroach and you know whoever else and us we won't cross 10 billion dollars so then by definition right you have about 100 plus billion dollars worth of data bases uh, which are still incumbent databases like the oracles like the db2s like the cybases like the informex like the teradatas of the world right now a combination of movement to the cloud and the world getting ready for generative AI is going to shake out that $100 billion incumbent database market. And that data will find residence in one of the modern databases, whether it's ours or someone else's, but modern day databases. The incumbent databases or the data exiting the incumbent databases or when organizing are modernizing their data estates, they are highly unlikely to modernize it with the incumbent. So if you agree with that premise, that the modernization of most data estates will have data exiting the incumbent databases and finding residence in one of the modern day databases, then you would argue that whether it's 70 billion or 100 billion, you are likely to see 20, 30, 40, multi-billion dollar database um, organizations or companies emerge over the course of the next three, five, seven, ten years. And, and I agree with that. I think uh, there, would be, there would be about a good 10 to 15 database companies, which will be multi-billion dollar uh, entities. And uh, we sure hope uh, we are one of those. Right. Before we switch to the topic of uh, AI, what sort of relationships uh, do you have with hyperscalers? Are you relying on them for storage or compute? 
and um, what is your existing relationship in terms of uh, getting into their marketplaces? Yeah, so we've got a, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's an interesting relationship with the hyperscalers. Uh, we naturally use, uh, our offering is available on AWS, on Azure, and on Google. And um, as you know, each of those CSPs or hyperscalers also have their own database offerings. And um, so we, we cooperate on the uh, use of their cloud. Um, we think one is better than the other clearly in economics. Um, however, we, we run on all three offerings. Um, and there is a bit of a, a competitive nature to this partnership as well. Uh, cooperation is the word probably that comes to mind where, um, you know, the, the data and analytics teams of those CSPs actively compete with us. And um, those CSPs tend to give it unique names like jump balls and all the rest of it. But it's uh, essentially taking advantage of our of their size to uh, try and, uh, yeah, uh, try and uh, squish the competition from smaller players like us. However, you know, uh, we, we don't crib or complain about it. It's just a statement of fact. And we believe that our offering is superior. And um, I don't think uh, consolidating uh, cloud infrastructure with their databases is um, something that most organizations want to do if they can help it. And uh, hence, we continue to prosper. However, uh, we do believe that AWS is our favorite hyperscaler platform. And vast majority of our business is there. And we find them tremendous, tremendous partners. Right. On the topic of AI, I caught a few lines you said in one of your recent interviews. With AI, what's easy becomes automated, the hard becomes easy, and the impossible is likely to become possible. I would like to learn on what gains are you seeing internally and uh, what features are you adding to your customers that are emerging out of AI? Yeah, um, the it's it's just something which helps me encapsulate the entire sort of uh, mystery surrounding AI. Right? I was just at the World Economic Forum in Davos last week, and um, you know I've been going to Davos for many, many, many years now, and this was the first time that there was ninety percent of the oxygen in the room taken by one topic, and um, and it was uh, it was Gen AI. And on day one, there were a lot of um, CEOs being a little mystified about whether it's a fad or it's actually true. And by day three, day four, they were like, holy hell, it's Gen AI or die. So I do think that the penny is dropped, that generative AI is not a fashionable or a, uh, you know, a fad in technology. It's here and it's here to stay. There are very bold predictions about what the impact of AI, uh, you know, productivity gains of 17 trillion by 2030, 26% of GDP by, being influenced uh, by, uh, by AI over the course of the next decade or so, and almost a trillion dollars of goods and services being sold to make this possible by AI uh, technology providers. So all of those are huge indicators that this is probably one of the biggest technology trends that uh, of my of my professional career, uh, if not of all times, right? And I've been through the PC sort of transition, the internet, the cloud, 
um, and, and now this, right? And we also do have to realize that we are in year two of AI and compare it to where we were in year two of PCs and what PCs look like, uh, year two of internet and what websites look like. Go back and see what the website of Amazon looked like in you know, 1996, 97. It's very different from what it looks like now. What mobile phones look like then in the second year of the evolution of the mobile uh, you know, uh, uh, phone generation. So we are in year two so, uh, of Gen AI and um, still, still evolving. I think we, like with everything else, um, the year 10 and year 20 are going to be far uh, more superior and different than we can even imagine, right? So, so that's one aspect of it. To, to be exact about the answer to the question that you asked as to what we are using internally Gen AI for, it's the low-hanging fruit of conversational AI. Uh, which I don't think is that unique, a huge case, and it's relatively easy to do. But that doesn't take away the productivity gains and the um, the sort of personalization and the user experience enhancement that accompany a application or a project like that. You know, just our, we just released the Squirrel bot, which is our support our chat bot, which uh, answers your queries in natural language uh, uh, prompts. And that cut down our support tickets by something like 67% in the first three months, which is huge productivity enhancement, but more than productivity enhancement. It is just a huge augmentation of the experience of a user on single store, which is really what we were, uh, we are most excited about. And I do think that the ladder to generative AI, the low-hanging fruit, typically would be customer service, customer support, uh, automation of manuals, uh, conversational AI. Those are the low-hanging fruit, and you are going to see, and that's what's going to uh, result in productivity gains over time. Um, so yeah, that's the first ladder of generative AI, and that is the easy getting automated, right, in, in my three buckets. And the hard becoming easy is uh, a lot of insights that we couldn't get in the past uh, would uh, would be very readily available to us uh, right and uh, you know something which uh, which i'm excited about is also the ai um, uh, devices which are coming out uh, like rabbit which i've just ordered and i'm really keen to see what it does it truly truly becomes a digital assistant which will you know sort of uh, get used to your usage and your schedule and be able to prompt and also suggest how you can make your day productive and be true digital assistant by knowing your habits and your likes and dislikes etc of course uh, like with most things in the initial aspect would it get it right 100 percent? maybe not but for the vast majority it's going to get that right um a lot of medical diagnoses are going to become more real-time, more accurate, uh, more augment the skills of doctors rather than replace the doctors. Um, and then the the impossible becoming possible is more in the area of science for the most part. Um, you know, how do you condense hundreds of years of chemistry into two days and hours and be able to, you know, find new comp compounds or drug discovery or... Um, you know, speed trials um, or gain insights and marry those insights for diagnosis at 
we've never had the the speed or uh, the the capability of doing. Now that is extremely extremely uh, interesting and exciting for us. So um, I, I do think that we are just getting started. I, I I think we're going to be we are in for a very very interesting ride. I do think that people um, keep talking about you know. Um, AI is going to take away jobs. Yeah, it's going to take away some jobs, but it's also going to create a plethora of other jobs. You know, I was just seeing a presentation by by Vinod Kosla, um, and uh, he actually used some of the slides and said that in the history of mankind, a lot of these things have happened. In you know, eighteen eighty nine, there are cartoons in uh, in various newspapers which actually are talking about how electricity will kill people. Same way how AI is going to kill people or take away jobs. So there is always a hesitation in the human society about things that you don't quite understand or comprehend. And as I continue to say, you can't celebrate stuff that you don't quite understand. And I think you also need to know that change happens faster than than you think and i'll give you two examples if you see a picture of fifth avenue in uh, 1910 there are 70 horses and one car and in two and in 1913 there's 70 cars and one horse so in three years the entire dynamic of the city changed um, a recent example is uh, 2010. The um, you know I, I think the um, the government body um, I, I forget who it is EPA or whoever they predicted by 2014 sorry by 2020 there'll be 26,000 electric vehicles on American roads. Tesla alone shipped 80,000 electric vehicles in 2014. So even the experts, uh, and what do the experts really do? They extrapolate the past. Um, and I think what innovation does, it, it creates the future. And it's fundamentally very different. And I do believe that AI, even though it's in its infancy, I think the impact that we are going to have of AI in the years to come is uh, is something which will surprise most people for the better. Um, again, talking about Davos, I attended a talk by uh, Kai Fu Lim, uh, a leading voice in AI and uh, the potential of AI and you know how it needs to be governed and regulated. And uh, he was uh, being interviewed by the CEO of Atlantic, and he wrote a book about what to expect uh, uh, of AI, but you know, twenty forty one. And, um, and then they asked him, what would you change in that book? He says, I'll make 2041, 2028. So, and this is uh, 18 months into writing his book. So the change that we are going to see is going to be a lot faster. And I would encourage people to get a better understanding of what AI is and how it can impact their lives and jump on the bandwagon and enjoy the ride. Right, that's an excellent summary of uh, on the topic of AI. With that, uh, we come to our final section, which I tag as the final three. Your answers can be one-liners on this. 
So my first question here is looking into the future, particularly factoring the things that you talked about on AI, do we need more software developers or less in the future? Far less. So I think 50% of the developers, uh, uh, what they do today would get automated. And I think uh, the top 20, 30% will become 100% more dangerous, uh, and I mean dangerous in a good way, productive. So I think the top end of the developers will be 100x more uh, uh, productive, and the bottom 50% of the developers over the course of the next 3 to 10 years would disappear. My next question here is, what is the one area of the business within the database industry that could benefit massively from the AI capabilities? I think, um, you know, I believe from a database internal perspective, I would say efficiency, productivity, innovation. And from sort of an external purpose, as in the usage of database, I would think it would be the ability to uh, be to have the simplicity of use, you know, the natural language programming, uh, the ability to have real-time actionable insights, et cetera. Those are probably the two areas that I'm most excited about. And finally, my last question here is, what is the one book that you would recommend a read from your recent reads on either on leadership or technology? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I can shamelessly plug my book. <laughs> Time is now; it gets released April sixteenth. Uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, a good, honest view on how I see AI. But that's, uh, as I said, a shameless plug for my book. And uh, I also um, enjoyed uh, the book by the Disney CEO, uh, What a Ride. Uh, that that's a great book on leadership as well. Great. With that, uh, we come to the close of our podcast. Raj, thank you for making time for this podcast. You brought in a ton of depth to the complex topic of databases, AI, and others. And after listening to you, I am certain that I am retiring much richer in terms of my understanding of the space and single store. <laughs>